Welcome to 3CR. You're tuned in to the third instalment of the Homes Not Prisons radio series. I'm your host, Emma Russell. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that I'm broadcasting from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. I pay my respects to Elders past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Today, for the Homes Not Prisons radio series, we delve into some of the local history of grassroots and direct action campaigning against women's imprisonment. It was important actually to, to bring the community to the prison, to bring the media to the prison, to see the prison. Women were bringing a feminist analysis to everything they were doing. I'm right outside the front of Stanley Women's Prison at the moment. Everyone's just marching round and they're all around the prison. They're banging on the walls with cans. They're banging on the big slide-up front door. It's really huge. There's a lot of, as you can hear, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people having a great time. At the, like, if you're anywhere in the area, just come down right now. This is just an amazing feeling here. But you can see the door of the prison shaking. We'd love to break it down today. The audio you just heard and that you'll continue to hear throughout this episode of the Homes Not Prisons radio series is from roughly three decades ago. It's original audio from some of the protests that took place outside the old Fairley Women's Prison in Fairfield Park in the late 1980s and early 1990s. In 2018, I produced a radio documentary at 3CR about these historic campaigns, led by groups like Women Against Prison, the Coalition Against Women's Imprisonment, and the People's Justice Alliance. These groups were struggling against many of the issues that Homes Not Prisons continues to fight for today. But there were also different struggles. In particular, in the early 1990s, Jeff Kennett, the Premier of Victoria at the time announced the first private prison to open in Victoria would be a prison for women. The old Fairley Women's Prison would close to make way for a new private prison in the outer western suburbs of Melbourne to be called the Metropolitan Women's Correctional Centre. This prison in 2000 was, after a series of crises, taken over by the state government and renamed the Dame Phyllis Frost Centre. This is now the prison that the government wants to expand and that Homes Not Prisons formed to mobilise against. So the continuities are clear. In 2018, for this radio documentary, I drew on some of the original audio from the protests held outside Fairley Women's Prison. These were archived on cassette at 3CR Community Radio. I also used some interviews that Brie Carlton and I had done for a research project that we conducted over a few years and that resulted in a book also published in 2018 called Resisting Carceral Violence, Women's Imprisonment and the Politics of Abolition. So today for the third episode of the Homes Not Prisons series, 
I'm going to replay for you this radio documentary I made about the Ring Out Fairly protests and the movement and the politics that surrounded it to give you some insight into a local history of abolition feminism that is an important precursor to today's Homes Not Prisons campaign. Let's talk about what's happening inside jail. In Victoria, women are suiciding in prison nearly five times more than they do in the outside community. Men are suiciding three times less than in the outside community. Clearly, the time that women are doing, they are doing very, very hard. They are not suiciding, they are being killed by this system, this inhumane system, this immoral system, this system that should change straight away. The chances of imprisonment of women in this country for crimes of poverty, social security frauds, drug addiction, non-payment of fines is horrific. But the chances of arrest and conviction are 16 times greater in this country if you are Aboriginal. That is the highest rate of imprisonment outside of South Africa in this whole universe. To me, that's absolutely disgusting, and I'm sure to each and every one of you there, it's totally disgusting too. All I'd like to say is thank you all for being here and showing support for the sisters and brothers in custody, and that your support doesn't end by leaving this rally this afternoon. CR provided a link with women inside Fairly Women's Prison by encouraging the women to listen to the 3CR coverage and to ring the station to express their feelings about their imprisonment and conditions inside the jail. Susan Duffy spoke to several women prisoners. Look, Fairly's just a show place, you know what I mean? The buildings are all just show. What goes on is what we're concerned about. We're not interested in the posh buildings and all the bullshit they give to the uh, public. We've got to live in them, we know what it's all about. I'm talking on behalf of all the girls at Fairley, and I, we all want to thank them with all their hearts. And while they're out there for us, we're in here for them. The link up's just been made, you can hear everybody clapping. It's just been done. We managed to get right round the prison. Right, it's a big prison, you got right around. I can't hear you, Susan. There's too much noise here. But just a fantastic feeling. All the women wove around the prison and they just made... They just linked up arms. So the whole day has been a total success. Over 800 women linked arms around Fairly Women's Prison. During the action, two ex-prisoners visited the women inside and brought out a petition signed by 56 inmates, which backed up the recommendations made by the report Women and Imprisonment in Victoria. We are demanding that the possession of drugs of dependence for personal use be decriminalised. We are demanding that prostitution be decriminalised. And we are demanding that the humiliating and degrading process of strip searches of prisoners after every visit, whether or not any, there is any suspicion 
of things being passed. We demand that these strip searches be stopped right now. That was Amanda George, Ring Out organiser, co-founder of Women Against Prison and Flood Out, and long-term anti-prison activist and community lawyer. Telephone interviews with women imprisoned at Fairleigh were broadcast on 3CR Community Radio before, during and after the Ring Out demonstrations. By providing an open platform for commentary and communication from both sides of the prison wall, radio increased imprisoned women's ability to participate in the demonstration and the public discourses that were surrounding it. By speaking out from the prison, women elevated the campaign's public education efforts and enhanced transparency in a system that was notoriously closed off from the outside world. What uh, would be the issues that concern you most inside Fairly? I would say that what concerns me is that we don't have a copy of, of what our rights are. So if we have a problem maybe with an officer or, or something's going wrong with us here on this side, um, we can't really approach, who do we approach and what are our rights? I mean, if we want to charge someone or if someone wants to charge us like an officer or to a prisoner, um, what can we do about it? Who's going to believe you? And, and you don't really have any rights like that and unless you go go outside and try and get the director or the assistant director, that is if you have the number or you have the guts. Sometimes, when imprisoned women phoned out from Fairley, the prison loudspeaker could be heard in the background, which made the prison much closer to outsiders, lessening the enforced separation between incarcerated and non-incarcerated community members. As the soundtrack of incarceration infiltrated these radio recordings, listeners were confronted with one of the mundane forms of atmospheric control and unescapable authority in carceral spaces. Here's a short excerpt that illustrates this. You were separated from your children uh, once you were put inside fairly. You were just That's told right, that I had been. the fire escaped My children have been put into foster care because I'm in here, because I'm a supporting parent, and I can only see them every fortnight. You are disobeying um, a lawful command. And I find that very hard, and my children find now. it very hard to put up with me being in here. And they're also really concerned about what, if anything would ever happen to me here, and um, they're just really generally concerned in general. As part of our larger research project, Bree and I have spoken to some of the organisers of the first Ring Out Fairly demonstration, who have relayed their memories about who was involved and how it was organised, the aims of the protest and the politics of the broader campaign of which it was a part. First, we'll hear from Amanda George. In 1988, that was when the first Ring Out Fairly started. No, Fitzroy Legal Service did this report called Women in Imprisonment and then decided that the, it was important to do a community action around Fairly, which involved all of the organisations that represent the conditions that women experience in life which make them end up in prison. So that was when we convened these meetings with the Prostitutes Collective, with the um, the whatever they were called, Vivades, the Drug Mob, Aboriginal Legal Service, Centre Against Sexual Assault, Women's Refuge Referrals, all of these, all of these organisations that represented women, the various aspects of women's oppression, really. 
So that was when that that campaign sort of stuff started. So we decided we'd do them every two years. Anyway, we just sort of thought, look, it was important actually to 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 bring the community to the prison, to bring the media to the prison, to see the prison. And for all of these women who were in the community, we need we knew we needed a thousand people to surround the prison. And um, so for the first one, we sort of had this six-week campaign that we were going to meet every week before the actual action and release a media release every week on a different issue around the prison. So one week it was around sexual assault, one week it was around family violence, one week it was around around drug and alcohol stuff. So that it was to, to sort of do this sort of build-up, which meant that we built relationships with journalists around it. And, you know, they were, they were hungry for it, really. We wanted to get bands there and stuff, so we, because Fairley was surrounded by sports fields, so we formed the Northcote Women's Softball Club or something and said that we were wanting to have a softball game at the <laughs> park and that was all A-OK. And so then we did. Um, 3CR were really integral in it. Because at that time, women inside could ring out, and so we did lots of interviews with women which we broadcast um, on 3CR. 3CR broadcast the whole day of events, the bands and... And so it was about sort of having a sort of festival sort of type of thing that was, you know, not too threatening. Over the years, the Ring Out demonstrations were organised by various overlapping coalitions and activist groups, including the Women and Imprisonment Group, the Save Fairly Women's Prison Coalition, People's Justice Alliance, Flat Out and others. The first Ring Out Fairly demonstration was organised by the Coalition Against Women's Imprisonment. This was an assortment of feminist and other community-based organisations that collaborated on this 1988 campaign. There was one key activist group that was foundational to the movement that manifested and sustained the biannual ringouts, and this was Women Against Prison. We'll learn more about this group later, but first let's hear from Trish Luca, who was involved in Women Against Prison and in organising the first ringout. I spoke to Trish over Skype in early 2017. There was four in the end. There was 88, 90, 93 and 96. Okay, I was involved and part of the organising of 88. I remember that. I have the um, poster. Uh-huh. Yes, so that poster, see, I worked at Sibylla Feminist Press. Yeah. And that poster was designed and printed at Sibylla. Yes, yeah, it says Sibylla Press on here. Okay. Yes, so I was part of, you know, that was part of kind of supporting the activity. Sue, Susan Miller designed that poster. She was working with me at Sibylla. And yes, I was part of that one. I remember some of the discussion. I think, can you just show it to me again? Yeah, so I think I I think I remember the whole idea of having the hand, you know, the holding hands through the bars. Yeah. I think that was something as I said earlier in relation to trying to, you know, the action being about connecting with women inside. I remember the whole idea of the hands. I mean, partly because I I think my response was it was a bit clichéd, but I kind of understood why, you know, that was an important thing, not not just to have 
bars. I mean, that's exactly what we didn't want to be communicating. Why not, do you think? Well, because it was, you know, a very kind of negative image. You know, just having bars was very negative, also very cliched, especially with the Ring Out Fairly action. We really wanted to show that we were about forging links. And maybe, I mean, I I think also kind of indicating at some level that anyone can, like women end up in prison and it, it could be anyone, you know, not that, mm. to, to not, um, to try and break down the barrier between yeah. the kind of us and them that so often attaches to prisoners. So this is interesting because, yeah, one of the ways that we're, that we're, we're sort of theorising some of the impacts of the ring outs is about this idea of challenging this kind of part of carceral power, like the way that the prison relies on that separation and division between people. And, of course, the walls and the bars are very powerful symbols of that division and that power. And the yeah. ways that the ring out in many ways sort of challenge that normative operation of power through, like you said, like the sound like so that women could hear or the literal ring around and fostering those connections and moving in and out of the prison and collecting women's stories and perspectives and things like that. Absolutely. I think that was a really important part of that activism um, and and a successful part too. Like I think think it was quite quite profound. Mm. I remember being rather, you know, I'd never been inside fairly. I think I went in once um, Mm. as a visitor. I remember being a little bit surprised when we went to do the action of how close it was, like how immediate it was, which Mm. is not the case with prisons these days and also not the case with many other prisons. One of the key organisers of the first Ring Out demonstration and a co-founder of Women Against Prison is Jude McCulloch. In 2016, Bree Carlton met with Jude in a busy cafe on Flinders Lane in Melbourne to record Jude's memories of Women Against Prison's activism in the late 1980s, including the original Ring Out protest. Jude told Bree that Women Against Prison was formed in the mid-1980s by a group of four women, herself, Amanda, and two others who'd been in prison before. They began by producing a radio program on 3RRR called Jumping Walls to explore issues surrounding women's imprisonment and to build public awareness. To the best of my recollection, Amanda and I were the only two lawyers involved. Um, And the advantage we had, or not the advantage, but the connection we had was we could go and visit women in prison. So other people didn't have that access because they didn't have that entree into the prisons. Um, So we we felt it was important to keep, to have some contact with women in prison. And that's why when we did the radio program, we called it Jumping Walls, this idea that there could, should be a connection between inside and outside. And we always kept that going, that feeling that we needed to maintain contact with women on the inside. So both Amanda and I, and Amanda kept it up over decades, I didn't keep it up as long. We did visit women in prison to take their statements and talk to them about what they thought were the issues. And um, one of the things that I really want to ask you is that this sense of abolition 
you know, abolition of women's prisons. When was this something that was always at the forefront of the work that you did in those in, in Women Against Prison, or was it, or did you have different views? I think that's a really good question, and to the best of my knowledge, we'd never heard the word abolition. I was really influenced by writers like James Baldwin from the US and Angela Davis. And we did have... We agreed on more things than we disagreed on. We were more focused on being active. I think we were thinking about intersections between class, race and gender, although we wouldn't have called them intersections then. It was women, women against prison, and I always thought that for me, I was against prisons. Amanda and I once had a conversation, I remember, it would have been in the 80s, and I assumed she was against prisons too. And she said she was against women's prisons but hadn't, didn't really, hadn't thought about men's prisons. And I remember saying, well, I'm woman against prison then. I think our position was quite radical, but... Beyond knowing what we were against, we didn't really have a sense of what we were for so much. Like, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have used the term gender equity or equality. Um, we would have identified with being feminists, but we would have done that with the proviso that we were also interested in race and class. We were kind of in the milieu of socialist feminists, radical feminists. Amanda and I were distinct from, I think feminist lawyers generally because we felt they were interested in things like the glass ceiling which we weren't interested in women at the top we were interested in women at the bottom. One of the things um, that we're interested in is how how activists involved in these movements have pursued reform agendas so and even though there is a lot of direct action that you were all involved in in the 80s, you were also engaged in complaints processes and inquest processes and pushing for changes, small and big, to happen on the ground in the prison system. What role, how did you view reform within the kind of um, work that you were doing within Women Against Prison? We thought it was necessary to try and ameliorate the conditions, the worst of the conditions that people but particularly women were in, in prison because although we felt incremental change wasn't enough and that it was complicated, that we needed to do that to be faithful to our desire to have a relationship, an honest relationship with women in prison. We felt the limits of reform. We knew that reform was limited. We also knew that um, reform could entrench problems so that it wasn't unproblematic but we felt we needed to listen to what the women were saying and respond to that and a lot of the time we want to point out contradictions so we didn't necessarily point out a program of reform but we wanted to point out contradictions for example of women being in prison for relatively trivial offences while being very much offended against you know, in terms of sexual assault, family violence and incest. So we did think it was important to be pragmatic as well as have a broader vision. And we always thought that change had... It wasn't just about 
you know, changing bits and bobs about the prison. It was about changing social structures, hierarchical power relationships. And the idea of setting up Flat Out, um, which came, I don't know, in the late or mid-1980s, was about maintaining that connection with women in prison and a connection where we could say we're bringing something to the table as well in honestly trying to support you. Um, not that this will ameliorate or change the conditions that you live in or all the things that you face, but that we can contribute something throughout time. The first Ring Out Fairly demonstration was conceived as a way to further Women Against Prison's strategy to forge links with imprisoned women and thrust their grievances into the public spotlight. They were inspired by feminist direct actions undertaken at Greenham Common Women's Peace Camp at Berkshire in England, such as the Embrace the Base and Human Chain protests that took place in 1982. In Melbourne in 1988, the Coalition Against Women's Imprisonment was formed to design a festive gathering and a photogenic direct action stunt, i.e. the ring out, that would attract media coverage and allow large crowds to see the women's prison in close proximity. The former Fairley Women's Prison was particularly suitable for this kind of protest. It was situated in Fairfield, only six kilometres north of Melbourne's central business district. It was also accessible by public transport. Aesthetically, it was surrounded by public parklands and sports fields. Jude suggested that the need to build and maintain meaningful relationships with imprisoned women was central to the activist politics and strategies of women against prison. But it also entailed reckoning with imprisoned women's greater vulnerability to violence and retribution inside Fairley. Jude recounted her memory of the organisers' aims and vision for the first ring-out demonstration. I guess direct action protest at prisons is fairly, you know, it's got some practical issues about it. How do you maintain a protest? And we always felt too that if we were going to do anything, we had to have strong connections with those inside. They needed to know what we were doing, why we were doing it. And... They needed not to say, we don't want you out there, it just makes it a lot worse for us. It was a creative response to that idea that it's hard to make the connection between inside and out. and It followed the sort of trajectory of the idea of jumping walls. Um, If you had a big enough crowd outside, you know, the noise would travel inside. I know there was a lot of communication between outside and inside about this is going to happen, this is when it's going to happen, this is what we're planning. There was a sense of the women inside being involved as well and the visibility of large numbers outside. One, you're making the prison visible to all those people that are there, not just people who are prison activists, but just people generally in, in the community. So make it sort of festive and and also a media event. And, yeah, how, how to maintain a connection and a presence around a prison, I think, is a difficult question or requires creative response. It was a collective spirit of sort of being bold, being provocative, taking up public space.
Forging political connections across prison walls requires a creative approach. Through listening back to organisers' reflections on the ringouts and the original 3CR broadcasts of the demonstrations, it became increasingly clear that these protests used sound in particularly novel and radical ways. While the cement wall of Fairly Women's Prison prevented imprisoned and non-imprisoned activists from establishing eye contact or shaking each other's hands, for example, the prison wall could not completely obstruct sound, which permeates, crosses and floods all kind of spaces. Amplified speeches, protest noise and chanting, live music all carried over and across the prison boundary during the ringouts. Simultaneously, radio broadcasting allowed dialogue and debate on air. Through the series of four ringouts, organisers and demonstrators on both sides of the carceral divide intentionally and spontaneously experimented with various sonic or audible modes of communication and forms of representation. Radio, music and protest noise all served as vehicles for reconstructing the carceral soundscape as a space of mutuality, liveliness and resistance. For example, during the second ring-out action in 1990, demonstrators banged on the prison walls as they encircled it, creating excessive noise using the very architecture of the prison itself. I'm right outside the front of Fairly Women's Prison at the moment. Everyone's just marching round and they're all around the prison. They're banging on the walls with cans. They're banging on the big slide-up front door. It's really huge. There's a lot of, as you can hear, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people having a great time. At the, like, if you're anywhere in the area, just come down right now. This is just an amazing feeling here. But you can see the door of the prison shaking. We'd love to break it down today. Amanda George has written about this particular moment, describing how when demonstrators encircled and banged on the prison wall, women inside Fairley responded by making reciprocal noises with what they could get their hands on. This banging and shaking of the prison wall during the second ring-out action escalated to a physical rupture and partial dismantling or unhinging of the prison wall, as tensions increased to the point that the prison front gate was knocked off its railings. That was when things got a little bit more heated. Quite a few women who'd been inside came and the prison had a roller door at the front and all of these women started bashing on the roller door and it actually knocked the roller door off its, um, (laughs) you know, out of its sockets. So that was... I can remember, Jude McCullough was... I remember her sort of negotiating with the police while, you know, because the police sort of came and, you know, it 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 was a bit problematic. But the prison let a number of the women come in that day. The women who were from the outside, who'd been inside, they let them go in and have a visit. So it was a very good way of diffusing it. Amanda's story reveals how demonstrators found a way around the carceral boundary, in a sense, exploiting its material weaknesses to fulfil aims of reconnection that were in this case driven by personal relationships and friendships established between women that had experienced life inside fairly. While seemingly totalising, the prison wall here becomes tenuous and contestable, The women's physical breach highlights how prison authorities need to constantly reinforce and re-territorialise carceral space to control the flow of bodies and to maintain power. In this case, the authorities ceded to women's demands, which, as Amanda notes, was a successful de-escalation strategy on their part. 
The authorities' relative leniency in this instance reminds us of the specific political and institutional conditions that in some ways made the ringouts possible, conditions that are significantly different today. Prison visits were again allowed during subsequent ringouts, creating a kind of movement through the doors from visitors going in, facilitating processes of information exchange that were immediate or of the moment. During the ringouts, there were also more organised forms of protest noise that worked to connect and galvanise imprisoned and non-imprisoned bodies into a collective force and expanded the presence of the protest at the Fairley Prison site. For example, the chant that I've been playing throughout this podcast, you can hear drumming underneath. Also, I've been told that a percussion section patterned the protest space during the ring-out action itself when demonstrators would physically encircle the prison by clasping hands. Bree and I got deeper into our research for this project. I became increasingly curious about who was doing this organising on the outside and why. I wanted to dig deeper into the internal dynamics of core collectives like Women Against Prison and figure out how they were situated and how they situated themselves within structures of gender, racial and class oppression. Something that frequently comes up when discussing this history of feminist prison activism that focused on the criminalisation and incarceration of women is what about men in prison? If the long-term goals of this movement are abolitionist, that is, dismantling systems of policing, surveillance, detention and imprisonment, why not expend more energy challenging the incarceration of men, who, after all, make up the majority of the imprisoned population? I posed some of these questions to members of Women Against Prison who were active in the late 1980s. You'll hear from Trish Luca, Annie Delaney and Jude McCulloch. I think it's probably fair to say majority white. Yeah. But I think we were conscious of that and conscious Mm. that that did not reflect, you know, the women inside. Look, I think probably a bit of a mixture in terms of class. Well, some, you know, some of the people who were involved had come from working class. It it was a bit mixed in terms of class. And certainly if you're involved in prison activism, you know, like class is a hugely Mm. significant issue in terms of who gets incarcerated, as is race. So Mm. whilst the group itself wasn't particularly racially diverse, you know, it, it, we were aware of it. And, and look, I think it's probably fair to say that there it was majority lesbian. We didn't have those. There wasn't a separatism yeah. politics that went down in, in that organisation that I recall. Probably the majority of women who were involved in the Women Against Prison group recognised the importance of class and race in particular. So race and class, I think in that order, mm-hmm. in terms of who was being imprisoned and that poverty and race, you know, often led to prison, whereas for people, for women who had access to money and who were white, they might be less likely to be imprisoned. Mm. So I think there was a tension about whether or not we were opposed to imprisonment of men if they had committed sexual violence Mm. or family violence. So there started to be more political action around family violence, and it wasn't even called family violence, Mm. then domestic violence around that time. And many of the women who were involved, or some of the women, say, who were in working in community legal centres, and there are, you know, many of them, 
were were focusing their activist uh, attention on domestic violence mm. and domestic homicide, mm. uh, you know, and that was really growing. I think there, you know, there are kind of ways in which if you were to use a simplistic analysis of being opposed to prisons, then there could be a contradiction there. But mm. like you can quite successfully argue against a kind of prison industrial complex and and point to how it's used mm. to you know control and and incarcerate men and women and still be you know vigilant around the need to ensure you, you know that women, that men don't commit sexual violence. I mean, I, I don't mm. really see that there's such a contradiction. It's it's taking it to too simplistic a level. You know, I think at that time where there were so many groups and it was such a, like, you know, pinnacle of activism in the women's movement and there was a lot of cross-fertilisation, like working lives and activist lives really intersected very yeah. strongly. And so one tend to, you know, bleed into the other a bit. So if someone, often there was cross-membership. Yes, yes. So, like and those conversations would interconnect because of that as well, because yeah. of what we were reading, what we were thinking, what we were experiencing. They were all quite connected. It's as in every movement. It's really hard to see tangible evidence uh, of the yeah. of what's what's been achieved because it's so episodic and so you know. One step forward, ten steps back in terms of you know in the whole law and order. But that's you can't measure things by that either. It's like things evolve at certain times, and you have to. I think you have to take hope in a way if you're if you if you believe that change occurs in whatever way, different ways that um, the influences had an effect, Definitely. even if they're not directly tangibly identifiable right now. We definitely felt that prison was counterproductive, both for men and women. But then, and again, it's one of the ways we differed from a lot of what we would see liberal feminists or mainstream feminists who, who it seems to us um, had a very narrow view about, we didn't take into account race and class and were pushing or unthinkingly buying into a punitive law and order agenda by just wanting to lock up men and we just thought that was counterproductive um, on lots of levels but for women too. Women Against Prison were obviously negotiating and challenging evolving understandings of the politics of gender violence as part of a broader second wave feminist movement. But they were also developing their own critical analyses that took the carceral state into account. Women Against Prison were working directly with women that were incarcerated either at Fairly Women's Prison or being held in segregation in Pentridge Men's Prison as extra punishment. And as such... Activists were frequently confronted with the realities of carceral violence, from assaults from guards or premature death upon release, right down to the routine practice of strip searching. But this violence was not isolated to carceral spaces. Women Against Prison also saw it reflected in the way that women experienced life on the outside. We saw prisons as being the sharp end of an inherently violent system. So the violence was on a spectrum. Spectrum, it was 
more or less continuous, um, certainly in the lives of women, people who were impoverished and Indigenous people in Australia. So we thought the violence was not confined to that space, but that was a, a really stark manifestation of it and a, a product of it. Although many of them were dealing with this heavy material, the women we interviewed also talked very fondly of this era of activism. Part of this was about developing a feminist culture that was sustaining, affirming and fun. Jude and Trish spoke a bit about this. I wouldn't call it... We wouldn't have called it agenda politics. We just knew that we wanted to work with women. So it wasn't... We weren't against the men and we wished them well but we didn't want to work with them. You know, socially, politically, we didn't want to spend an evening chatting to them, for example. Whereas socially, as a group of women, we were very happy together. You know, we we spent a lot of social time together. We drank, we ate, we cooked. We went away for weekends, we danced, we did all those things. And we didn't do them with men. It wasn't separatist. Like, I wasn't a separatist feminist. It was just... We felt that we needed our own space, both to think about what was happening, to be safe. I don't think anyone said we're not safe around men. We just weren't interested in them. I think it was really, really important. As I said, the way we organised in those days uh, was informal and it was often fun. You know, like we had lots of fun. Mm. Like we, we worked really, really hard as political activists, but we always ensured that we also had fun mm. and that we celebrated and partied. And it's a peri- it was a very complex kind of a complex mixing of personal and intimate and sexual lives mm. with politics, with with work, with employment, Some, you know, yeah. so they were all kind of in together, like people were working in legal centres and, and and then and they were doing this activism as part of their work as and their you know, the whole idea was that if we could make our work our politics, you know, that was an ideal kind of state. And then and of course as well as that, we were living in group houses. Yeah. You know, like it was <laughs> lots of fun. <laughs> This sense of social connectedness and of fun and liveliness was a key part of this activism. It was also reflected and actively cultivated in the organisation of the Ring Out demonstrations. In order to create a festive atmosphere, organisers invited bands to perform at the demonstrations. In 2016, I spoke with Billy Clark, a long-term feminist activist and former lead singer of Nice Girls Don't Spit, a working-class lesbian band from Melbourne that performed at the first two Ring Out demonstrations. I've always remembered that thing of just um, setting up and all the speakers just facing the prison and that nobody was trying to stop us. That basically everything had been brought together by people under their own steam, hiring PAs and getting everything down there. There was no, you know, it was just uh, one of those remarkable moments of where everybody was just doing their stuff and yeah. nobody trying to... It felt to me in those days that nobody was trying to take control or it was just like, can you do this, mate? Yeah, sure, you know. But that one day where we, that particular one day where we just 
pumped it out inside the prison and I remember some of the women were standing on the roof. Uh, there was like a little shed or something inside Fairley because I remember there was about four women on it just fucking dancing away. Oh, and we my were, God. So you got outside for the ring Yeah, out? and they could see us. Oh, that's so cool. You know? Yeah. Um, they didn't last long, obviously, but uh, <laughs> it was just that thing we could hear them too. Yeah, like shouting. And yeah, cheering. so we'd be like, this one's for you, you know, and... <laughs> Out. And we had we'd stolen Johnny Cash's um, Folsom Prison Blues and turned it into Fairly Women's Blues, which became a huge hit inside the prison. Over the course of eight years and four separate ring-out protests, they succeeded in bringing thousands of people to the walls of Fairley Women's Prison. Why did people attend these protests? What was their motivation? 3CR conducted vox pops of crowds at some of the different ring-out demonstrations. I'm going to play an excerpt from the second ring-out in 1990, which gives listeners some kind of insight into what attracted people to these mass demonstrations. And what issues do you think are most important? I think the need for 24-hour healthcare is the most important issue affecting women inside. And I think on a more general level, the fact that large numbers of women are imprisoned for property offences is to me of great concern, something that should be addressed immediately. Because it's important to draw attention to the fact that uh, women's imprisonment is increasing at an alarming rate and most of those women shouldn't be in prison. Stop putting women in prisons because of social security fraud. Because women are there because they don't get enough money from the government. Well, I'm here to support uh, all the women in prison, particularly the, the Koori women in prison, because uh, they, they form a large percentage of the pop- population in there. I think they represent about 8% of uh, the women in prison in Victoria, even though we only make up less than 1% of the um, population here. Because I, I protest against women being in prison at all, basically. I mean, women aren't in prison, in prison for violent crimes. Women are usually in prison for poverty-related crimes. And, you know, it costs about $1,000 for each woman in an institution. And if that money was used in terms of giving housing or giving social support or just higher levels of income, women wouldn't have to get in jail anyway. I'm here because I'm outraged at the treatment that I received whilst I was in prison here, in prison for four months in Fairley. Um, I just can't believe that such abuse and brutality happens on such a grand scale. The public are completely unaware of it. It's like stepping back to the 18th century. That it's, it's, it's barbaric. They have a thing called a cage, a wet cell where women are stripped off and put into a canvas bag. And that uh, it, it's just unbelievable mistreatment that goes on there. And the public are completely unaware of it. Why am I here today? Because I'm an ex-prisoner. And uh, I support what the people are doing here today for the ladies.
The fourth and final ring-out in 1996 was the largest demonstration of them all, with around 2,500 people gathering outside the soon-to-close Fairley Women's Prison to protest rapid developments in prison privatisation in Victoria. The state premier at the time, Jeff Kennett, had been elected in 1993 on an aggressive neoliberal platform of widespread privatisation of public services and utilities, including corrections and he quickly announced that a new women's prison would be the first to be privatised. Kennett also implemented law and order changes, which would guarantee the newly arrived security transnationals a growing pool of prisoners to generate profits from. The private women's prison in Victoria only ended up lasting four years. It was chaotically mismanaged and highly dangerous, with record rates of self-harm, and dazing lockdown for women due to staff shortages. However, this prison that was constructed for women in Deer Park in 1996 is still the one that they are incarcerated in now. Yet, its capacity has quadrupled in its 20 years of operation, the majority of which has been under the state's operation. I'm going to play some audio from the last ring out at Fairley Women's Prison now. As a member of the Women Imprisonment Group who have organised this, the fourth ring out Fairley, Women of Fairley, we expect a thousand people here today. We have got tents. We have got people from the Prostitutes Collective, from Women Against Prison, Rank and File, the Council for the Single Mothers and Their Children, Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. We have got food, we've got children's activity, and we are here today because your lives are important to us. In the 200 years prison have been here, the characteristics of women put in prison have been the same. From the poorest members of the community, women who survived through theft, women who survived sexual and physical violence, women who are sex workers, and in Australia, Indigenous women. In Victoria, Indigenous women are overrepresented 50 times behind that very wall that we're looking at and that you are inside. Anna Barris spoke to Catherine Gow from the People's Justice Alliance and asked her if she was pleased with the response to the ring out. Ecstatic. I mean, it's, it's met all our dreams. The latest estimate is that it's close to 2,000 people here. It's the biggest ring out we've ever had here in Victoria. And I think that's to be congratulated, not just as organisers, but the fact that people do care and people have come out on their Sunday to show their, their support for the issue and support for women who are in fairly at the moment. And considering it is a political event today, it's, it's so much a family atmosphere about it, isn't it? It's a bit like a picnic, I guess that could be said. And certainly I've got friends down from Gibson and they've said, oh, they've never seen such a broad collection of people focused on one single issue anywhere before. So I think that's, you know, remarkable and people are having a good time. The music's great and that, thank God we haven't got the rain that real dreading might have happened. So certainly people are having a good time, but the issue's not being lost in that. Do you think that women from the inside can hear what's happening? Is there a sense of solidarity with uh, what's happening out here today? The women certainly can hear what's happening. Um, I don't know whether you've noticed, but we keep seeing toilet paper sort of up in the air over fairly. So that's certainly the women communicating with us in that sort of way. We do know that they can hear what's um, happening here on the outside. And certainly when we do the ring out, we've organised, you know, purple helium balloons that were all let off at one time 
made for the women to actually see the volume, you know, of people out here supporting them. And as Janet said, there's actually a, a quite large police presence uh, around Fairley, um, but it, it seems to be on call for considering such a peaceful um, demonstration today. Yep. It's certainly uncalled for. I mean, we met with the governor before this to explain what was happening. That was all relaxed and fine. I met with the police yesterday, you know. It's, you know, we're not interested in violence. We're not interested in confrontation because the women inside are the ones who will pay for anything that we do and it's contradictory for us to make their conditions and their experiences worse. I think the police have enormously overreacted. With every other ring out, we haven't had the police presence that we've got here today. We certainly haven't had the dog squad around the wall um, and they've been here since 11.30 this morning, absolutely out of control and I've heard that the horses are on their way down. But certainly we're not interested in violence. It's not about, you know, a direct confrontation because it's the women inside who pay. There's other places for that sort of confrontation. There have actually been rumours of the fact that, you know, some of the, the demonstration that's happening today, that actually the prison officers might retaliate against the women. Is that, is that tend to be the case? Um, we're hoping not. Um, certainly we do know that some prison officers are actually here supporting us today on the outside and have come on their days off to support the action because they agree with what we're doing and they believe that the treatment of women inside is atrocious and that privatisation is atrocious. Um, but, you know, hopefully there should be no retaliations and if there are, we're certainly going to take them on over that. This song was written um, as a part of Somebody's Daughter Theatre and the verses explain three different women's stories about what it was like um, for each of those women when they left the prison. So it might help you understand what it feels like when you get to the gate and supposedly that you are free. It's called the Getting Out Song. Ring Out Fairly was organised by the Women in Imprisonment Group to draw community attention to the conditions faced by women prisoners and to oppose the Victorian Government's prison privatisation schemes. The Ring Out presented a list of demands to the Victorian State Government. These demands are that no women be in prison, that there be no private prisons, that strip searching and urine testing of women in custody stop, sexual assault by the state must stop, that access to children be a right not a privilege that all recommendations of the Royal Commission into Aboriginal deaths in custody be immediately implemented, that there be fully funded, culturally relevant support services for women in custody and for women on release from prison, that no women be held in men's prisons, and finally, that there be full access to information and statistics and records on the prison system. You're listening to Helen Barnacle with her song about getting out of prison. Let's wish all women prisoners find freedom soon. If I was a key organiser, I'd have the key and I'd be opening that front gate. You're tuned in to 3CR Community Radio. You've been listening to a radio documentary about the Ring Out Fairly protests that took place in Melbourne in the late 1980s and early 1990s. Homes Not Prisons carries on this fight against the gendered and racial violence of incarceration and the expansion of the prison system as a response to social and economic crises in housing, healthcare, endemic violence against women, children and non-binary people, 
and the ongoing dispossession of First Nation peoples from their lands. What we can learn from this history, from Women Against Prison in 1988, from the People's Justice Alliance in 1996, and now Homes Not Prisons in the early 2020s, is that the struggle for prison abolition is necessarily a coalitional one. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Emma Russell, and stay tuned next week for more on the Homes Not Prisons campaign. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.